Hey now, welcome to another episode of Run Vass Option. My name is Chris Vass, or a.k.a. Coach Vass. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we have Southern Miss head coach Will Hall on the program talking about QB development, how he switches his offense when personnel changes, and much, much more. But first, we have housekeeping. Housekeeping? No, thank you. Sleeping. Follow me on Twitter at Coach Vass, the show's account at Run Vass Option, as well as the Make Defense Great Again pod at MDGA Podcast. On the Coach Vass Twitter page, if you go to the pinned tweet, you will see a link to my appearance on the Mina Kime show. I was the first half of the episode and got to share it with the legend, one of my heroes, Roger Bennett from Men in Blazers, which I will be doing something with him shortly that involves American football. I'm excited about that. I hopped on Mina's pod to talk about why offenses have ruled the NFL, what's the biggest through line in the more successful defenses that we've seen, talking about too high, what a lot of people are calling the light box theory, bare, penny, mint fronts, how teams build rosters with an emphasis on D-line versus cover guys, and I have some tips, if you want to call them that, for NFL teams to combat some of today's spread offenses, including a dive into man match covers and simulated pressures as well as my plea to NFL defenses on one simple adjustment they could make to try to solve the Lamar Jackson problem, and then even preview a few future NFL studs that I have found at the coaching ranks. I hope you check it out. It was really, really cool experience for me. I was nervous as hell going from a podcast like this that is very jargon-heavy, long format, to a shorter episode where I'm not in control of the conversation necessarily. Mina did an amazing job, and I had an absolute blast. And I am hoping that I get to go back, because that was too much fun to do just once. And I also hope that Mina decides to come on this podcast, because I know we'd have a lot of fun. Check out my YouTube page, youtube.com slash coachfastfootball. It's been dormant for a little bit. I gotta be honest with you, the videos I made, I thought they were great quality. I thought there was a lot of good content. They just took forever to make and it was monopolizing my time and taking up my entire life for weeks at a time. But we will be doing something soon. I'm going to take you through a live scouting mission. So basically, I'm going to take Gabe Fertitta's film at the end of his time last season and I'm going to break it down from A to Z from start to finish. I've gone through painstaking details to not watch too much of the film, but get the data I need. And I'm going to live stream it. I'm going to live stream the entire process. You can follow along with me. I know a lot of people have asked how I scout film. I've done a lot of stuff with Huddle, but this will be an A to Z process, live streamed with all the warts, all the second guessing, all that stuff. And I'm going to put together a game plan so you can see the method to the madness that I've talked about. That will be broadcast on YouTube, so go subscribe. I'll also be doing some quick hit live stuff. Like I said, the polished videos were great. They were just a lot of time. I'm looking to do some more live breakdowns, shorter breakdowns with a lot of information packed in, but in a format that will not take three weeks to make a single video. So make sure again, youtube.com slash coach football, subscribe, turn on the notifications and comment on the video. If there's something that you liked, if there's something that you think I left out, I love the feedback. I know I mentioned Patreon at the front of the pod, but make sure you check it out. Patreon.com slash coach The silver tier will be kicking into high gear towards the end of August, beginning of September. We will be doing our weekly Q&A live webinars where you jump in. We help you game plan, help you solve the issues that you're going to face that week. 
It happens on Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. And if you can't make it, obviously, we will have it archived so you can watch. It's one of my favorite things to do in all of my work where we can help guys in real time and other users jump in with some suggestions. It's a really, really great platform. We had a lot of great feedback last year. And if you're thinking about joining the Patreon and you need some help this year, whether you got a small staff and you're real busy with school, you just want a second pair of eyes, or you can't decide on what you want to do, come join. It's a lot of fun. Also, if you're facing a wing T team this year, check out CoachTube. Go to my Linktree, linktree.com slash CoachVast. It has the link to my Defending the Wing T course, 8 hours, 50 bucks on sale for $39.99. Everything you ever want to know is afraid to ask is in there. I guarantee it will help you. It's helped some teams, shutout teams that put a running clock on them the year before. And I've also had a lot of really great feedback about that. Coachvast.com is the website. It's hot. You need t-shirts. You need to rep defense. You can go there. You can get anything in your school colors. I promise. And if we don't have it in there, we will make it happen for you. You can click on the link to the store at the top and it will take you right in. There's a lot of fun stuff. And speaking of Mina Kimes, you may have seen on her NFL live show, she had the QB tears mug rocking right behind her. It's our best selling item. And if you don't have one, you need one. I've already mentioned it, but check out linktree.com slash coach vast. It has all my links. If you can't remember all the individual stuff I'm talking about. And if you can't remember that, just go to my Twitter. The link is there. Make sure you stay tuned to this episode for the coach vast coach tube course of the week. And also I have some exciting news. I have re-signed with huddle for another year. They've invited me to come back. I'll be creating content to help you for this year. Hopefully we can get some good use out of the beta analysis tool to make your life easier. So you can spend more time on the important stuff. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. If you wouldn't mind, it takes 30 seconds and it really helps me out. I know it's been a while. I'm sorry about that, but I'm back in the saddle. We're going to be putting out pods every week from now on. I'm really excited for this season. So let's get into the show. Let's get into it, man. My guest today is Will Hall, head coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterback coach at Southern Mississippi. Coach, welcome to the show. Oh, man, I'm really excited to be on it. Really appreciate what you do, you know, for the profession. I always enjoy listening to your podcast and always learn something every time I do and then just excited to be on. Well, I uh, I appreciate that, Coach, and thank you for the kind words. So you guys, you got a couple of assistants on uh your staff that uh, I have a previous relationship. One is uh, one of the most popular guys that's ever been on the podcast, Dante Barty. Now, as the head coach, you're also, as I mentioned, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. So before we get into the topic for the day, tell, how, how do you construct your staff now that you technically, quote unquote, have an extra assistant spot because you're the offensive coordinator? How have you constructed your staff and if you want to get into like maybe what everybody does and their roles and who they are and stuff I'm kind of interested in that yeah so we we put five on defense okay so we have a d coordinator Austin Armstrong who coaches inside linebackers and then we have a d-line coach Brandon Lacey we have an outside linebacker coach Mark Kreiner all right and then we have a safeties coach in Dan O'Brien and a corners coach in Chad Williams so we put five on defense all right, and then we go four on offense. We go uh, Jeremy Darvos, our run game coordinator and O-line coach. Desmond Lindsay is our pass game coordinator and receivers. Jordy Joseph coaches running backs. Caden Cochran coaches tight ends. All right, so 
Uh, I coach the quarterbacks, and I have a graduate assistant that helps me with that. And uh, we have an analyst on each side of the ball. That's where Dante Barti is on defense, the famous Dante Barti. All right. And uh, Ben Thomas is our offensive analyst. He's basically our assistant O-line coach. I think it's important to have two two good O-line coaches. And Ben's done a phenomenal job as well. And then uh, with the 10th spot, we have a full-time special teams coordinator. And I think that's important. It's something that uh, when NCAA went to the 10 assistants, I always knew if I ever got to this level, that's what I would do. And uh, a guy that that's all he does. You know, he, he spends his day doing it, so he's not in and out. You know, when you have a guy that's in and out of offense and defense or a guy that's – or if you split the special teams up amongst the staff, I just think the Bucks got to stop with somebody. And uh, I think it's important to have that. And I've been a head coach for six years before this uh, and I always called the plays and coached the quarterbacks. I don't think that's hard to do. There's a lot of people that have done it and been very successful from Ryan Day to Lincoln Riley to a lot of people, you know, and uh, it's, it's what got me every job I've ever gotten. So I don't know why I would become a head coach and quit doing that. And uh, so what I do is I, I, I run the culture and I run the offense and I hire really good people to run the defense and to run the weight room and, and to run the special teams. And, and I have parameters that, you know, that I give them. And, uh, but, but man, I let them work. You know, I think it's important to hire good people and to let them do their job and, uh, and to not micromanage them. And, and, and that, so that's, that's how we roll here. Now, as you mentioned, Dan O'Brien, is that Dan O'Brien, uh, formerly of the university of Alabama? That is Dan O'Brien. Tom yep. O'Brien. Tom O'Brien's son. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's right, Chris. Dan's, Dan's a coach's kid, too, and really intelligent guy. We've got a great staff. I mean, we really do. It's a bunch of good guys. Uh, I'm of the mold. You know, you read, you learn, you see how all – there's all types of way to skin the cat, and ultimately, as a leader, you've got to be yourself and do it with the way that's most comfortable for you. But I'm a little bit more of the Bill Belichick mold of – we don't have 150 people running through our building. I don't want that. I, I think that we have our 10 full-time assistants. We have an analyst on each side of the ball, and we've got two GAs on each side of the ball. And that's what we've got. we got a few student assistants running around. We have a director of player personnel, and we have an assistant head coach general manager. And he helps me with the roster. He's in charge of academics. He's an eligibility guy. He's a guru at that. Uh, he is uh, a great uh, evaluator of talent. You know what I'm saying? So we kind of have a little bit of an NFL model with that. And we have a director of football operations, and that's it. I don't want anybody else. I, I still believe you can build a culture with a pack of people where everybody knows everybody, you trust everybody, everybody's got one mindset, one goal. I don't want a bunch of independent contractors. Now, there's a lot of people that do it that way, and they're winning. And, and and more power to them. I got respect for that, but that's not who we are here. I still believe I, I want a group of people that likes to, you know, when the game's over and you win a game, I, shoot, man, I want a group of people that all want to hang out with each other and go drink a beer, you know? And uh, I've worked in a lot of places where as soon as the game was over, everybody scattered and ran from each other because everybody was miserable. And uh, I do not want that atmosphere here. That's not what we're about. That's great stuff. I uh, anybody that's ever listened to either of the podcasts that I do, and really any guest spots I do, I 
I have a very strong affinity for TCU and I've, you know, Gary Patterson has always said, you know, when he became the head coach, why would I give up doing the thing that got me here? And I've never understood that. I've under, I understand if you're a coordinator and, and again, like you said, there's a lot of ways to do things, but I've never understood, you know, you've gotten somewhere because of a skill that you have. You got your foot in the door because you had great offenses. If you had very average offenses or very below average offenses, but still had all those other skills, it takes a special, like astronomically high or odds to become a head coach. And so you have all, you have this skill that kind of puts you in the room and these other skills that helps you get the job. But then all of a sudden you're going to do the main thing that got your foot in the door kind of a thing. And that's what I've never understood or these people that they turn over their offense or defense to somebody else completely. And like, it's a totally different system. And I just, I know I couldn't do that. So I, I totally, I totally understand where you're coming from there. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I hear people say all the time, they say, I just don't see how you have time to do it. I don't see how you, with everything you do. Well, I mean, golly, I mean, you don't, if you, if, if you're going to, Metal with the defense, metal with the special teams. Here's what I do every day. I wake up and I coach the quarterbacks and I run the offense, just like I've always done. And now I recruit everybody. You know, I have it very organized with our with our personnel staff and our recruiting department with who I'm supposed to recruit each day. And you know, and but but you know, I let Austin run the defense and Greg Myers, our special teams coordinator, and he runs the special teams. And, and, uh, you know, I recruit and I sell Southern Miss and, and I coach the offense, you know, that's what I do. And I, and I, and I build our culture. I'm constantly around all the players. Uh, I've got a strength coach in Lance Hancar who I played college ball with phenomenal guy he came up under that Alabama tree of strength coaches. We're like brothers. So our culture is in perfect alignment. We've known each other forever. So I trust him to treat the kids uh, to be really hard on them, but at the same time be a positive impactor on them and love them up just as hard as he is on them. And so, uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't, I don't see why it's hard. I mean, there's a lot of people that, to me, all the ones that the most successful ones of all time all started out at least running one side of the ball, you know, or had a heavy, heavy hand in it uh, in the beginning of when they were building their their programs, you know. Off the top of my head, I and I'm sure people are going to be shouting at their radio or when they hear me say this, but the only one I can think of is is John Harbaugh. I mean, you've got that's right, but but Harbaugh was a special teams guy, right? Right. You know, he was he was a big time special teams guru. Boy, I got great respect for him too. Uh, they have an unbelievable culture up there. I've been up there a few times. He's a great leader, but you know, I mean, most all of them. You know, uh, they were really good on one side of the ball and they were heavily involved in it, you know, right. even when they became a head coach. Now, some of them eventually handed it over. Right. But I'm not there yet, man. If I couldn't coach quarterbacks and run the offense, I don't know. I, I'll probably get out of it. I mean, because I love football. Uh, I'm not one of these guys that, you know, the whole culture – over strategy and strategy over culture guys i think you got to have both you know i think 
I do think you can out-coach people. I think you can out-scheme people. I think X and O's matter. I think anybody that doesn't think that, why are you coaching? You know what I mean? Like, what, what, why do you not want to put your kids in the best possible scenario with a play design to give them a chance to be successful? I think, I think you definitely can out-coach people. Now, I think culture matters. I think in the fourth quarter when it's close or when adversity hits, yes. You know, it matters. And I think all great programs have both. You know, I think if we look at Alabama and this run they're on, they are really, really good schematically, and they have a really, really good culture. You know, and, uh, you know, if you took one of those away, they would not be on the run that they're on right now. And uh, so I think they both matter. And um, I think you've got to have both. And, and we're trying to build that here. Well, and I think it goes to the society, our need for ranking stuff and who's better than who. And 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 I, I have a lot of friends who are journalists, and I understand they have to fill – well, I guess it's not really column call call inches anymore, but you know, you have a word, a word limit. You got to have some sort of content, especially in the off season. But you know, the, this whole need is what's more important. What's more important. First of all, you can't have one without the other. So trying to say one's more important than the other. And, and number two, who cares? Like if you, both, I mean, do you think Nick Saban sits around and goes, well, guys, we have to have 65% culture and 35% scheme. When did it become, uh, you know, a zero-sum game where if you have one, you don't have the other? And, like, there's no, there's no like, sliding scale. Like, oh, I've reached, I've reached my limit of culture minutes for the day. I must put time into this. And I think, you know, good guys, you know, good coaches, they do both and they weave it together. I 100% agree. You know, I 100% agree. I think you, I think you've got to have both. I think it's how you treat people on a daily basis. And there's a time for one, and there's a time for the other. And and I agree. I think they complement each other. And uh, you know, when it's third eight in the fourth quarter, all right, all right, we better have really good culture, and we better really be holding on to each other, and we better really believe in what we're doing, and we better be battling through adversity. And we have a better all be banded together. But we also, offensively, need to be in a really good play. All right? We need to be able to pick up whatever pressure is coming at us. We need to have some type of route concept that is going to get open versus the particular coverage we're going to see. Or else, you know, if we've got some type of protection that can't pick up your great blitz scheme, it really don't matter how try how hard we're trying, how good all the kids are, how much they believe in all that. You're finna sack me and none of that matters. You know, and if we've got a great play design, but all our kids don't care about Southern Miss, they don't believe in what we're doing, they're not held accountable, then, even, then they're not going to execute that play design, and it's not going to matter. So I agree with you 100%. It all matters, and it's not a zero-sum game. You've got to do – the great teams have both. And, uh, you know, that's what we're trying to do here. We were able to do that, you know, at the other play, you know, at West Alabama and West Georgia, where I'd been a head coach before, we were able to go on some great runs, and we were able to implement a lot of those things, and I really believe we're going to be able to do it here. We've got great history and tradition here. Uh, football matters here. You know, we're the place that's been to 22 bowl games, eight conference titles. Chris, I didn't even realize this until I got here. We've had 125 players drafted in the NFL from Southern Miss. I mean. Wow. You know, football matters here, and there's 
the reason why we can't get this thing back like it's supposed to be. Well, I, I had a short stint in Mississippi, and I know, you know, obviously at a different school, but I know how much it matters. And even being in Jackson, you'd see so many Southern Miss stickers around, and and I, I'm really excited to see what you're going to do for the program. Now, I kind of put the cart before the horse a little bit. Usually I uh, have coaches tell a little bit of their background, and then we kind of progress from there. But I got so excited to talk about my friends and talk about the staff you're building, I was I, I neglected to ask you how you got to Southern Miss. So give listeners a little background uh, on, on how you ended up at Southern Miss, your journey, and make sure to uh, include a little tidbit about, and I'm sure you will, but a little bit of tidbit about your uh, your father, who's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, that's where I'm going to start. So I grew up a coach's kid. My dad is the second winningest coach, high school coach in Mississippi history. I got dropped off when I at the uh, I got dropped off the field house when I was four years old. Kind of an interesting fact, Chris. My bus driver in Amory, Mississippi, when I was four years old, was Miss Dot Burrow. Miss Dot Burrow is Joe Burrow's grandmother. All right, uh, Joe wow. Joe's grandparents are a long time. Yeah, Amory, Mississippian. So uh, Miss Dot Burrow dropped me off at the field house, and I've gone to the field house every day since then. Uh, I grew up in a home where my dad was a larger than life figure. Uh, was unbelievable, uh, you know, uh, impactor of people, impactor of communities, just really, he was my first hero. The way he wasn't a guy that stayed at places long, we would build a place up and then he would move and go to another place. He loved to build programs and change communities. Uh, and just seeing how he did that and seeing how winning football games changed these small little towns throughout Mississippi and gave them so much more pride. I just gravitated to it. And um, I was a short guy, or still am a short guy. I'm about 5'8 uh, on a good day. And uh, I played quarterback for my dad. Uh, I was all-state guy. We won the state title, all those good things. And nobody wanted me because I was short. Back then in Mississippi, even your own junior college, uh, back then in Mississippi, you had to go to the junior college in your area unless they didn't want you and released you. Well, my own junior college in my own area didn't even want me. Okay, so I went to another junior college, Northwest Mississippi, and uh, was a junior college All-American, uh, set some national records, and we only lost one game in two years while I was there. and Ended up at North Alabama and had a great run there. And uh, ended up winning the, the Division Two Heisman, which is the Harlan Trophy. Harlan, I mean the Harlan Hill Trophy. And uh, from there, man, I wanted to coach. You know, when you're 24 years old, I felt like I'd been coaching my whole life already, and uh, I was way smarter then, Chris, than I am now. I had it all figured out, man. I was going to be the next Bill Walsh. All I needed was an opportunity, and uh, I took every job that nobody else wanted in the world. Uh, because it was tough to win and they didn't pay very good. So I went to Presbyterian College, then to Henderson State, to Southwest Baptist, to Arkansas Monticello, running offenses, calling plays the whole time. And uh, I got my first big break in 2008. A guy by the name of Bobby Wallace hired me. Uh, Bobby Wallace won three national titles in a row at North Alabama in the mid-'90s. Uh, phenomenal man, great winner. And I got to go work for him for three years at West Alabama. And then he retired and I became the head coach at age 30. We had a great run there. Uh, 
won the first outright conference title in school history and went to West Georgia. Uh, they had only won 23 games in six years when we got there. We won 24 in our first two, had two semifinal appearances, won the first conference title there in their school's history. And uh, wanted to coach Division One football. And uh, so I jumped in as the offensive coordinator at Louisiana Lafayette. Then I bounced to Memphis for a year. And uh, then I got another real huge break. I got to go work for Willie Fritz at Tulane. And I was his offensive coordinator for the last two years. And Willie Fritz, for everybody that's listening, uh, if you get a chance to go down to Tulane and visit, just be around him and the culture he implements. Willie Fred is a real man. He's a real leader. He treats people the way he wants to be treated, the way you would want to be treated. Uh, what he's done at Tulane, a lot of people thought could never be done. I mean, they've gone to three straight bowl games, you know, and uh, it's one everywhere he's been. So I was able to be his OC for two years, and then Southern Miss opened up, man, and like you said, like I said at the start of this, Southern, I'm, I'm Mississippi through and through. This is what I do. I know everybody in the state. I know every high school coach in the state. And very, very thankful to be here and blessed to be here. So that's – I probably took too long to say it. That's about as fast as I can go through it. No, Coach, you're good. You're good. That's, uh, that's quite a story. So what years were you in West Georgia? I was at West Georgia in 14, 15, and 16. In 14, we went to the semifinals in our first year, all right? In our second year, we went to the semifinals. And uh, and our third year, I think we went 7-4. And four. And, uh, and then I jumped into this whole Division One deal. You work with Scott Simons, right? Scott Simons was my defensive coordinator. And Josh Alders was a D-line coach. And Ricky Hunley. Chad Williams was my first linebackers coach. Chad's on our staff now as corners. And then Ricky Hunley came in after Chad left. They're all at Liberty now. My offensive co- my, my offensive coordinator O-line coach was Sam Gregg. He's at Liberty now. Yeah, but we hired Scott. Uh, yeah, we hired Scott, and uh, he did a phenomenal job. I, so one thing you'll love about me, Chris, all six years that I was a head coach, even though I run the offense, we led the conference in either total defense or scoring defense. So we like to play good defense. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, my buddy, Brandon Lechtenberg came out, I think in clinic, uh, Scott at West Georgia or vice versa or whatever. So I, that's how I got to know the name Scott Simon. And then that's how, when I visited Georgia, and Austin was there and came in. I said, where are you from, Austin? He said, uh, and then he said, I was at West Georgia. And I said, oh, do you remember Brandon Lechtenberg? And he was like, oh, yeah. So that's how the whole thing started was him and I got talking. So it's a, it's a small, small world. So you have been a lot of places and you've had a lot of great quarterbacks. So I'm going to ask a very open-ended question and then go from there. And we've talked a little bit about some things that you do, but what's your secret? What's your secret sauce? Yeah. So, you know, just to kind of give the listeners, you know, a little bit of history with us. So, you know, been D two my whole career, uh, and group of five. So never had the, you know, four star, five star ability to recruit those guys. So we at D two, we've always had all conference quarterbacks. We've had guys in the Harlan Hill race, 
Uh, we've had freshmen of the we've had three freshmen of the years in the conference at quarterback. Um, what we've always said that that we can't bend on is accuracy and toughness. So in recruiting, I'm always big on what are our non-negotiables and what are our negotiables at each position. With quarterback, it's accuracy and toughness. And when accuracy, what what we say is, you know, because I think there's kids walking around Hattiesburg right now that can pick up a ball and just hit people with it. And I think there's kids that can't. And I think by the time we get a hold of them at our level, it's hard to fix that. People that miss people will continue to miss people. It just is what it is. Uh, I think I can help fix it a little bit, but it is hard to do. And people that miss people will get you fired. I'm just telling you. And uh, it don't matter how pretty they are, how big they are, and how hard they throw it. If they miss, they're going to miss. And then toughness. Yeah, we talk about competitive toughness, competitive nature. Uh, we talk about mental toughness. How much do they really love football? Are they a tough guy physically? You know, are they a willing runner? Uh, even guys that aren't runners, they still have to be willing to run. They can't be guys that aren't willing to do that because the game's going to call for that at some point. Uh, so those are our two non-negotiables. And then after that, with quarterback, we say, we have to have a redeeming quality, all right? So, you know, he either, he neither, you know, it needs to be, if he's got accuracy and he's got toughness, then he either needs to be a, a really strong-arm guy that's got some size to him, okay, or he can be a shorter guy that's a really good athlete. But he's got to have some redeeming quality. We've had kids that were unbelievable athletes, and we've built it around that. We've had kids that were, pocket passers and we've built it around that but there's got to be a redeeming quality to go with accuracy and toughness uh because let's be honest you're not going to get the the super tall guy with the rocket arm that is accurate and has toughness and is a really good runner those guys go to alabama and georgia and ohio state right so uh so that's the way we've been able to do it at all levels you know is, is by those those that 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 deal there I'm a big believer in seeing a kid throw in person. I really think it's hard to judge a kid throwing the football on tape. I've been doing it my whole life, and I'm still not great at it. So we see a kid's film. If it's really good, we get it constructed in some way to see him throw in person. With COVID, we would get them to film it truly right behind them coming out of there. I think you got to see it come out of their hand. And um, the only time I've been burned in my career is when I didn't see them throw in person. You know, so that's that's how we've done it. Take the listeners through how you are teaching those guys. You're hitting the field day one. You're in the classroom day one, whatever the starting point for you would be. You got a kid or either that's coming in from high school that you're just starting to work with. Or let's say you got to Southern Miss, that first quarterback meeting. After you went through what you're looking for, the leadership qualities, all this, the culture stuff we've talked about, what's the first thing you're going to do with them? Yeah, so the first thing we do with them is we train them to, to how are you going after you get the play, signal from the sideline, how do you look and scan the defense? And we have an acronym that we use that it's called SOC, S-O-C. And I'm always, I'm like, you know, I'm constantly telling them socket, 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 S-O-C. SOC stands for safeties to overhangs to corners. 
safeties, okay, how many are there? How wide are they? You know what I mean? What's their demeanor? Where are their eyes? Are they on you? Are they on a wide out? Okay. Overhangs. How wide are they? Okay. Is there one on each side or is there just one to the field? Are they in a man demeanor? Are they in zone demeanor? Are they apex? Are they out over a wide out? Okay. And then corners, you know, where are they? Are they off or are they pressed? Are they looking at you or looking at the receiver? All those things. But we're safeties to overhangs to corners, Chris, to try to decide two things. We just want to get two, two things answered. Number one, is it man or zone? If it's man, it's man, and we're done. If it's zone, then is it cloud or is it bail? And that's how we simplify it. Now, look, we train them and teach them all the great coverages. We're, you know, stump, stubby. We, 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 I'm all in with you, man. All right. I'm right in there with Don, with, with Barty and Armstrong in there. I know, you know, we're, we're, we're all about it. We teach all the great coverages. But at the end of the day, we really just want the kid, especially early on with a young kid, we just want him to be able to figure out who has the flat. Okay. You know, if it's zone, we define bail, B-A-I-L, as the corner. If we threw the ball deep down the sideline, the corner would be responsible for that play, which means the flat defenders should expand into the flat. We should get stretch. Obviously, everybody knows this, to open up windows. We define cloud as if we threw the ball deep down the sideline. The safety would have to make that play. And now we should not get stretched from the underneath defenders. Now, that's obviously real simplistic, but that's where we start with kids. Socket to figure out, is it man or zone? And if it's zone, is it bell or cloud to the side we're working? And that's how we start the car, if you will, you know. So then what's your next step? You you, you identify that, and that's, that's a great way – even for somebody as simple as me can figure out. Um, but where do you go from there? What's your progression for teaching? Okay. So we have seven reads for the quarterback. Okay. Uh, five of them. We do a whole lot. Two of them. We don't do as much anymore, but we have seven reads every pass play we have. And we've got, you know, just like, just like you, man, we have a way to do everything, all right? We are a humongous volume offense. Now, we don't do everything every year. We probably run about 60% of our whole offensive toolbox every year, and that's built are always around, number one, our quarterback, and number two, who our skill guys and what our old linemen can do, all right? But what allows us to have that much volume of pass concepts is the fact that we, they're all grouped into one of these seven read categories. So I can come up with – I can see the Chiefs run some great, awesome play, and we can put that in, and immediately the kid can know how to read it by me just texting him it's a swipe read or it's a ras read, and it's done. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I can go through those reads if you want me to. I would absolutely love that. All right, so the easiest one for us and where we start is what we call a swipe read. Some people call it a scan read. I know Dan Gonzalez calls it a scan read. Uh, I'm a big Dan Gonzalez guy. If anybody out here is an offensive coach, quarterback guy, and you've ever read Dan Gonzalez's books, I highly recommend it. His thought process, the way he does things is really, really good. But anyway, swipe reads for us, 
okay? We always, with the quarterback, say, where do your eyes start, okay? And on a swipe read, your eyes start in the flat, okay? So a swipe read for us, a mesh wheel is a swipe read. Our eyes are in the flat, okay? And the wheel is that route that's in the flat. You know what I'm saying? Okay, and if that wheel route is covered, we would be gathering one to the crosser coming into that area. And then if that's covered, we'd be gathering again to the sit-down route or the dig coming into that area. So our eyes always start in the flat, and then everything in the route concept will be moving towards where the quarterback's eyes are. I'm huge on routes moving into the vision of the quarterback where his eyes are leaving from not making him bounce from one side, you know, to the other, bringing routes into his eyes. So that's, that's number one. That would be a swipe read, just trying to think out loud, uh, you know, a concept that would fall into that is, you know, like I said, mesh wheel would be one. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the second one, okay, that we, that we go through would be a vertical read. All right. And, a vertical read for us. We don't run four verticals anymore, Chris, just four people running deep with one guy running a seam bender or two guys running a seam bender. You know, all the man match, zone match stuff, all the good quarter stuff. Now, it just got to be where we weren't hitting. I mean, you know, we're, we're basically, I mean, you know, you're the biggest guy, I mean, we're just running right into being covered. And so um, what we do now is, is we run verticals to one side, okay? So we're going to have a go route on the outside or some type of go sit-down read, and then the number two guy is going to run the scene bender, okay? And on the back side of that, we're going to put different concepts, usually outward-breaking concepts like a inside corner route with number one running a crosser or an inside corner route with number one running a whip route or a, or an inside outbreaking option route, a sit down or an option route, something like that, okay? A vertical read for the quarterback is talked to him like this. Your eyes always start away from the seam bender, okay? So if the seam bender is to the right, his eyes are going to start left on that particular concept. If he's got the look, he's going he's gonna to hit it. If not, he is flipping his eyes to the seam bender, and then there will always be some type of check down coming into that. So it's kind of almost, we always want to beat man away from the seam bender, and then we always want to be able to beat zone to the seam bender. And that's how we've changed our vertical game. If it's three by one, you know, we'll bring a crosser from the backside. We'll put our eyes on the corner, and if he chases the crosser, we'll throw the over route in three by one verticals. If the corner sinks off the crosser, we're snapping our eyes to the field seam bender, and then we're gathering again to the crosser as the check down. Does that all make sense? Absolutely, Coach. All right. So uh, I'm big on – so on our playbook sheets, you know, as the route concept comes up there, it's it's E-1-2. The E stands for where your eyes start. The 1 is number 1 in your progression, but it's also – tied to your feet so the way we look at things is e is where your eyes is at during your drop so you're one two three with your eyes in that spot as you hit your third step you're either gathering to deliver that football 
or you are gathering to move on to number one in your progression. Some people call it a hitch. We call it a gather. All right. If that's covered, then you are gathering again to number two in your progression. So the progression times up with the kid's feet as well. All right. One gather should be number one in his progression. Two gathers, okay, should be number two in his progression. I'm big on training the kid where your reads uh, move with your feet to help them build that, you know, that that clock in their in their brain. I'm huge on that. So that's that's the first two reads. All right. Our next one that we usually put in is a RAS read. RAS stands for R-A-S, okay, which is read away from safety. So, uh, you know, a lot of people use these out of three-by-one where they'll read the boundary safety, okay? So maybe we're in three-by-one in the boundary where it's got a, a glance, a five- or seven-step slant. And let's say the field number three has got a pipe route smoking right through the middle of the field. And number two has got a, a hitch whip route where he can bounce outside. And number one has got a dig. You know what I'm saying? So we would rat, we always raz the safety away from the middle of the field route. Okay. And it stands for read away from safety. So let's say we're in three by one and running this concept. We just said, well, to the field, uh, is, is the, to the right. We're on the left hash. The field would be the right. The, Number three is running through the middle from the right, so we would raz the left safety. If that left safety stays to the boundary, then we would be gathering to the field. Okay, one to two, dig two. Uh, we 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 would we would we would see one the pipe route to two to the high low dig hitch. If the safety to the boundary went to the field, then our number one would be the glance. Number two would be the flat route by the back in the flat. But we're always just reading away from that safety. Does that make sense, Chris? Yes, sir. Um, all right. Stick nod is a great RAS read. You know, so if you're in three by one and the tight end is running the stick and go through the middle, and number two is running a loop route back underneath as a check down. Okay. And to the boundary, you've got a corner route by the X, by the by the by the single receiver. You can RAS read the boundary safety. If the boundary safety stays at the boundary, then you are gathering one to the stick and go through the middle to two to the loop route check down. If the boundary safety goes to the field, then now you are gathering one to the boundary corner, two to the boundary flat. All right? So, uh, so those are all the base. You can kind of build an offense around those three. What we say is uh, with swipe reads, we really like swipe reads versus bail, okay? We do not like them versus cloud because your eyes are in the flat. We need horizontal stretch. If the flat defender doesn't stretch with the flat, then you can hit it. If not, you should have created openings. Uh, with, with vertical reads, all right, we're always looking for man, okay, or any type of seam area opening. You know, with all these great coverages now, we're looking at how we can get into the same areas of their zones. And then with RAS reads, uh, you know, we're just looking to see if we can we can get a B on a safety and try to get through the middle of the field a lot of times. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, uh, I can see where that would be beneficial. So our fourth read concept would be a levels read. 
uh, uh, levels is going to be the quarterback's eyes are going to go to some type of shot, whether that's a go ball or a post. Okay, some type of deep shot, and then he will be gathering to a high-low. So the, you know, just old-school flood route or sail concept where number one has a post, number two has some type of corner, and then you've got somebody else in the flat, that would be an example of a levels read for us. The quarterback's eyes are on the shot. They're on the post right now. So he's taking a three-step drop. His eyes are in the post area when he hits his third step. He should know right now he's either gathering to launch the post or he is gathering to move on to a high-low, which would be the corner route to the flat route. You know, the deep over concepts are levels reads for us, where you've got a post with an over and a flat. Those are levels concepts. It's a shot to a high-to-low deal. All right? Does that make sense, Chris? Oh, yeah. I'm picturing these on the defensive side, like how we've taught routes or how we've categorized routes. And seeing if it if it squares with what you know we teach our defenders. So this is this is interesting to hear it from the other side. Yep. And then our fifth, our our fifth one, uh, which is you know a lot of people use this a lot. Most of our quick game falls into this category. Not much drop back. We call it pick a side, and then that's just a deal where. You know, that you could be picking a side off. You could have a man beater to one side, a zone beater to the other. You could have a one high beater to one side and a two high beater to the other. But, you know, just, you know, uh, slant flat to one side and double slant to the other. You know, you could be saying slant flat to one high beater and double slant to two high beater. You know, but it's just pick a side concepts where the quarterback uh, wants to make the decision pre-snap where he's going. We tell our quarterback, pick a side reads are awesome and they're bad, okay? Because if you pick the right side, you ought to be 100%. You ought to complete it every time. If you pick wrong, it's going to be really, really tough. So pick a side reads for us. We want to use our cadence as a weapon and try to get the defense to show we don't play fast with pick a side reads a lot. We want to play, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but we want to play extremely fast with swipe reads and raz reads because no matter what, we just need to get the ball snapped, right? Because on a swipe read, our eyes are in the flat no matter what. And on a raz read, we don't even know where we're going until we snap it and get our eyes on the safety and go away from where he is anyway. So we will tempo swipe reads. We will tempo raz reads. We very rarely tempo pick a side reads because we don't want the quarterback to pick a wrong pick wrong. Uh, so that is our fifth one. And then our last two, we don't use as much anymore uh, because of all you guys doing all this cool match coverage stuff now. You know, back in the old days when people just spot dropped, these were a little bit better. They're not as good anymore, but if we find an old school defense, we'll bring these into play. One of them is called a ram read. A ram read stands for read away from Mike. Okay, so we would put two in-to-out concepts on each side. Okay, so let's say we had the old snag concept. Okay, with a, a snag, a corner, and the back in the flat to the right. And to the boundary, let's say we had a dig by number two and a five-yard end by number one, the old Peyton Manning concept. Okay, we would ram that versus a two-high defense and read away from Mike. If the Mike went to the right, we would go to the left, gathering one to the dig, two to the end. 
if the mic hangs where he is and doesn't move to the field, then now we would go one to the snag, two to the flat. And what we say is anytime you've got two in-to-out concepts on each side, then you can ram it and just go away from the mic. That's just one example. We don't do that as much anymore uh, because of so much three-man front, the creepers and all that. It can get it can get hairy on who is the mic. That's interesting. Uh, we don't see as much. Yep. That, I would have never thought yep. that. I That's still yep. one of the top routes that we run, or it's one of the top routes that we would practice against. So I'm I'm – that's just that's that blows my mind to hear that. <laughs> well, hey, I could be wrong now. You can talk me back into it. Now, on behalf of all defensive good. coaches, I think you're spot on. I think they're terrible plays. In <laughs> fact, you know what? Don't even leave in the playbook, coach. Just take them right out. It's all good. <laughs> but uh, you know, and then so much quarters and bracket now. You know, we see a ton of brackets. You know, and uh, that makes it extremely hard for a lot of those Ram reads because the mic's just going to match the back and now you're bracketed up. Rams were great versus boundary cloud two high defenses. And you just don't see that that much anymore, Chris. You know that as well as I do. I mean, like, you know, just the old school cloud to the boundary, quarters, get quarters to the field. You know, you can ram the crap out of that and roll. And, and uh, you, don't, you just don't see that that much anymore. No, or we don't. If we do, we'll get back to it. Okay, and then uh, our last one is just what we call a squeeze read. So the old school West Coast concept of Hank, uh, you know, would be a squeeze read. You're going to put your – there's going to be some route right over the ball right now, okay? And it's very similar to a Ram read, except instead of reading away from the mic, you're actually looking at a route in the mic spot. And so West Coast Hank would be looking at the over the ball route right now. If it's squeezed from the field, okay, then we would be curled to flat to the field. If it's squeezed from the boundary, then we'd be curled to flat to the boundary with the Hank concept. But you can squeeze read more than just Hank. It's just it needs to be an in-to-out concept, uh, you know, wherever wherever it's getting squeezed from. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, and I could also see where you would eliminate, I mean – not only is it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like, you know, not only is like Hank a play, curl flat a play, but it's also in this own bucket of reads. So I could see as a as a quarterback coach, first and foremost, being like, okay, well, I'm sure it's a great play. And even if a team came back to it and were running like some spot drop three where you could say, okay, yeah, that's a good play, but now we got to have it in this totally different read family. Can we get to something else and another family that we already do? Does that thought process come into your mind or are you just like, it's a great play. We're going to do it. Like I, I, I could see coaches not only shying away from the play because of the play, but because it's got its own little family. Yeah. Well, we can, we can squeeze read more than just hang, but, but it needs to be, a, a route over the ball coupled with in-to-out concepts to both sides. Does that make sense? Which is, you know, you're limited a little bit. Right. You know, but you could go glance flat. You could go, uh, you know, curl flat, glance flat. You could go dig in to one side and curl flat to the other. You know what I mean? So you can squeeze more than just Hank. But, again, it needs to be 
it's 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 better versus spot drop, which we're not seeing a ton of anymore. But football cyclical, man. You know, eight years ago we wasn't seeing any GT counter, and uh, thirty years ago we saw a lot of GT counter, and then eight years ago we didn't see any, and now it's back full force. You know, so uh, yeah, which is crazy it'll, it'll to me so, as somebody who yeah. you know came up in football about fifteen years ago. You know, well three man front, three man front brought it back, man. Football was a four-man front. So, you know, Joe Gibbs and was running counter versus 50 defenses and killing it. And then the four-man front came along, and four-man front ruled football at the levels me and you coach at for a long time, probably longer than, you know, shoot, anything has. I mean, everybody was four-man front forever and ever and ever outside of maybe Joe Lee Dunn at Mississippi State and Charlie Strong a little bit was 3-3 stack, but – Four-man front was there, and then all of a sudden, mint front, tight front comes back into play, and that brought tight end on the ball, GT counter back, and that, that's what I believe he brought him back, you know, more than anything. Well, it's just so funny to me because I advise a lot of younger coaches, and they're just like – and I was talking to somebody, and <laughs> they're like, Coach, I just – I, I'm just struggling with counter and and I didn't I, I, I later on I thought yeah of course like I thought about it I was like counter I was like didn't we solve how to stop counter in 1990 when Jimmy Johnson started playing the Redskins like because I'm a Miami guy so <laughs> exactly. like that's in my that's yep. in the forefront of my brain I'm like counter and then they're like well we're a mint front and we box with our jack and I'm like oh got it <laughs> you know That's it's right. just funny that i'm old enough now and i've been in the game long enough now where i'm starting to see things starting to come back around again like you said um you know i just i i can't wait for or actually the opposite of can't wait i i shudder to think when the boise style offense is going to come back the because to me as a defensive coordinator the under center shift four times, or not shift four times, but shift once or twice. That, that Joe Gibbs offense, that Boise offense where you're doing all that shifting and trading and motioning, that was the worst to prepare for. I don't know if it's necessarily the hardest to defend. Like really good spread offenses are easy to prepare for in the sense that, like, you know, it's not the amount of plays they run, it's the efficiency. You know, and and the speed that they run it at. So you're like, okay, I know what we're gonna do, but it's still really hard to defend. But just putting together a game plan for those teams was just grueling. So I definitely hope that cycle doesn't come back. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah. This week's Coach Fast Coach Tube Corner features a course from Indiana Football Offensive Coordinator. Nick Sheridan, and the topic is QB play and pass organization. This talk was from the Lawrence First and Goal Clinic series and features aspects of quarterback play, including coaching philosophy, fundamentals, throwing posture and carriage, grip, drill work organization with some drills, passing game philosophy with QB decision-making, the pass game families that Indiana uses. He talks through two-by-two two verticals and switch verticals, as well as empty and answers questions from the audience. You watched college football last year, you know Indiana was actually fantastic, and Coach Sheridan gives you a window into how they do things on the offensive side of the ball. If you're interested in the clinic, go to linktree.com slash coachvass. 
and go to the Offensive Coach Tube Courts of the Week. Again, that's linktree.com slash coachvass. Scroll down and you'll see the link there. The game has changed and, you know, you've had a lot of different quarterbacks. You've been around a lot of different guys. We talked last weekend when we were planning on doing the show and all that stuff. You know, we talked briefly about some of the different guys you've coached. How does a guy like yourself, who's been in a lot of different places with a lot of different types of kids, how do you change what you do or not? And I don't mean simple questions like, well, we have a guy who can throw far, so we throw the ball farther. We have a guy that can run, so we run zone read. Like, yeah, that's, of course. But more along the lines (laughs) of different learning styles or guys had different vision. Some guys' peripheral vision was better, so we threw more horizontal concept. Or I had a shorter guy, so we had to do different protection schemes or we had to use different skills. Like, can you give us a couple examples of guys that you've coached along the years and how you've modeled not only your philosophy, but maybe how you taught to match their skill sets to either um, emphasize their strengths or minimize their weaknesses or both. Well, I think, you know, the, the first part of your question, again, I think that, you know, you've got to have a toolbox. You can't just, stumble upon things and decide you're going to do it. You got to already have that in your toolbox and have it named and have the reasons why you do it. Now we may not do it. You know what I'm saying? Like for instance, uh, you know, at Tulane, Willie Fritz hires me. They were an option out of the gun team. So we had like six running backs that could play. We had two uh, pretty good tight ends in our league. We only had two, what I would consider, college wide receivers to win some more on the team, but only two that were legitimate receivers. So, you know, uh, I do believe now, first off, Mo, I do believe you have to establish the run. If you want to win a championship, I think that stood the test of time. You know, I, you're not, maybe somebody one day will, will win a championship throwing it 65 times a game, but I just, it hasn't happened yet. So, uh, I do, but we, obviously ran the ball a ton. I think we ended up finishing 11th in the nation in rushing our, our first year there. And we ran it way more than we threw it. And, but that's the players we had, right? That's the system that we had. Uh, the next year we ended up starting a true freshman at quarterback and he was the highest rated uh, quarterback by P by freshman quarterback by PFF in the country had a phenomenal year. And he was a different kid. He's a really, really accurate guy. That is an extremely tough guy. And He's about six, two and a half and has uh, a good arm and he's a decent enough runner. So his redeeming quality, you know, he was accuracy. He was tough, but his redeeming quality was he was a, a good passer. You know, he's, he was six, two and a half and had a really live arm and he was a very willing runner. He wasn't a great runner, but he was very willing and was good at it. Uh, so we became to be more of a pro style system way less quarterback runs way less zone read. we had another chance to rec- we had a year to recruit some more receivers and we became more pro style in our attack and uh but but everything we did was already in our system we didn't have 
It's just we choke, you know, you have to build it, number one, around your quarterback. And I really think, number two, you have to build it around who your skill guys are, you know, and then from there to your O-line. And, uh, you know, I go back and forth with that sometimes with, with the O-line and and, uh, and the skill guys, which one is more important when you're building it. But uh, so, but I don't think you can ever, like, we can't. So now we're at Southern Miss, okay? We've got a lot of really good receivers at Southern Miss, a lot of them, okay? And, uh, you know, they have been kind of air raid here for the last few years. So, obviously, we've got to cater to that. Now, is our playbook different? No. Uh, we, we it's, it's not green anymore. It's now it's black and gold. But all the concepts in it are the same. Now, who are we going to be and what we're going to choose from that will be different. You know, so I think I think on any given year, we probably run about 60% of our total package. But that's going to be based off, like I said, what our personnel is. But I would encourage everybody, all the young coaches out there, to to build your system for for everything. You know, now you're not going to be everything. You've got to get good at things and be good at something. But you at least need to – I don't know, I've just – I love football, man. I love to watch everybody. I love to watch. I grew up in a Veer midline home. My dad was the first guy to ever run the midline in Mississippi. You know, I was running the Veer in my house at four years old around the U-shaped couch through the ottoman. You know, so I love watching <laughs> Army. I love watching Navy, you know, and uh, I wish we could run the Veer. We might do it, you know, every now and then, just to sprinkle it in. I've always wanted to. Uh, but you got to – you need to have a way to call it. You don't just need to all of a sudden say, oh, you know what? We got these type of kids this year. We'll just do this on a whim. It needs to fit. You need to have a language. Because uh, I'm big on if you're going to do a lot, there's got to be a way of teaching. I'm a huge word association guy. I got my degree in psychology. So every we never just name something something. We never just call something something because somebody else did it. Okay? Like – you know, every word in our system is going to be called. I mean, every every play is going to be called. For instance, you know, uh, post wheel with an out, three receiver concepts going to be called whopper. You know what I mean? Because it's whopper with an out and a post, or wheel with an out, wheel with an out and a post. You, you see what I'm saying right there? I'm huge on that. Never just call something I blue love it. or green or or cowboy. I mean, it's got to have – I'm huge on word association and grouping things into families and naming things for a reason. Because if all of a sudden you just decide you want to do something one year and you just name it something, uh, you'll look up in eight years for all the young guys out there. You'll look up in eight years and you'll just have a bunch of junk, name junk, and it gets really hard to teach, you know. And uh, so that would be my advice for young people starting to develop their systems. What other advice do you have for young guys developing their systems? <laughs> oh man. Oh, uh, you got to be who you are. What does that mean to you though? I hear that a lot and I know who I am, but for somebody who's young, who's finding themselves, they're finding their voice, they're finding their coaching voice. How did you go about finding who you are? Well, number one, I think you need to write it down. You know, I think you need to figure that out, you know, uh, like I've already stated in this thing, I think being able to run the football matters. I think you have to find a way to run the football if you want to win a championship. Uh, 
that matters to me. Uh, I think you've got to find a way to create explosive plays. That matters to me. You know, so but but you've got to figure out who you are, and if you don't know, you need to figure that out. And uh, you've got to figure out, and, and 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 never stop learning. You know, because the game changes. And uh, you know, one thing I would say is we told our players this actually the other day. You know, there's a cool thing right now. And this is going to kind of go against what I just said. But there's a cool thing right now for, hey man, you just do you, or hey man, you just be you. You know, and what we told our players the other day is, yeah, but what if you being you is being a butthole? You know, what if you being you is headed down the wrong path? And you don't need to be you anymore. We need to change, you know. And uh, so, you know, yeah, I would I would encourage you to be yourself, but you got to study people that have won and figure out what matters and what's going to work for you and uh, and keep learning and go. One thing I would say you know, is that uh, in this profession, there's a trend to do things just because everybody else is doing it. And, you know, I'm not just saying schematically, but, you know, I'll use one example right now, okay? Um, We're in camp season, okay? Everybody in the country flies all over the country and does camps everywhere, okay? We don't do that at Southern Miss. We're in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We got a lot of good players all around us. We do all our camps here. I don't want to go to South Georgia to work a camp. I don't want to go to Tallahassee to a mega camp. I don't want to go to Memphis to a mega camp. Uh, if, if we can't get a kid to drive to Hattiesburg to come to our campus and work out for us on our campus and see what we have to offer, then he probably ain't coming to Southern Miss anyway. It don't mean enough to him. And that doesn't mean everybody else in the country is wrong and I'm right. I'm just saying – if something doesn't make sense to you in your particular situation, if you've researched it, you have conviction about it, then don't be afraid to do it, even if nobody else is doing it. And uh, we feel like there's enough good players all around us that we don't need to travel to do camps. We feel like they should come see us on our turf and see what we've got to offer and, and go about it that way. That's just one example of that. But I, you know, I, I think, and this, I think there's a lot of people in this profession now that are afraid to say, you know what, I know a lot of people are doing that, but really just it don't make sense for me and us and where we're at. I think that would be a waste of time and, and have the gumption to make that decision. And uh, I would encourage people to do that, you know. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know, I've thought a lot about this over the years. Football is a uniquely American sport. And I haven't been many other places besides Mississippi where they are more excited to tell you how American they are. <laughs> and <laughs> they they love it and, and wear it on their sleeve, literally. And it's interesting because so much of what else is uniquely American about our culture, about being an individual. Cause it, it's hard because, you know, a lot of things that coaches complain about and not, not, not unnecessarily like it's, it's valid criticisms and valid complaints, but you know, football is a communal sport. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to get a little weirdly <laughs> political here for a second, but like anytime that 11 people have to do the same exact thing or have a, a responsibility and of one thing, goes apart we all the whole thing breaks apart like that's as that's as 
uh, maybe communist is the wrong word, but like, you know, but we we're in a we're in a in a in a country that's talks about freedom and and personal expression and 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 liberty and all these great things. But honestly, they're not congruent with football. You can't go be your own guy at left tackle. I mean, you can play play in your own way, but like that has been the fascinating thing in especially in the south being a southern guy is taking these values that we hold this country we love this this uh, you know culture that we love and then slamming it into a sport that does not like individualism you there is no freelancing the receiver can't be like you know what coach i know you said it three step slant but i think a seven step slant would be better you know what i mean like as a guy now that has to be the head coach of a program and be the CEO of culture. And how, how do you go about that? How do you go taking in a community in an area that loves America as much as anywhere else in the country that has all these values that has all these, you know, personal freedoms and you know you can do what you want and be what you want and, and and like you said do you how do you then mold that into a team what's what's what do you think are the most important things or what do you think is the real trick to that well i would i see what you're saying i kind of look at it the other way though i do think in america you do have the freedom to do you you do have the freedom to be an individual you do have all that now what america's never guaranteed is that you're going to be successful and you're going to make a lot of money and reach all your hopes and dreams doing it that way. I think America since the beginning of times always said you can be anything you want to be as long as you're willing to pay the price to get it. And that price is different for everybody. You know, some people were born with two parents uh, with a lot of money and they got a lot going for them. They still got to make good decisions. Other people are born in not so fortunate situations and they've got to make really good decisions, but they can still get it done. Okay. Their road may be tougher, but they can still get it done and be what they want to be. So I think tying that into football, you know, uh, you know, it, <laughs> the, the Nick Saban speech about it takes what it takes. I, you know, I love that. You know, I, I love that. We play that for our players all the time where he talks about, you know, social media and everybody, they portray this image to kids where they've got so many options and so many decisions, so many things that they can do and avenues they can go. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to be successful, there's really not very many avenues you go. You go. It takes what it takes. And what does it take? It's different for everybody. You know, and, and what it takes to be a really good football team is trust, is accountability, is people that do their job. You know, that is that culture we were talking about early on. It also takes really good coaches, you know, that have good schemes. Uh, and then obviously the thing that it takes the most is really good players, you know. And uh, but so uh, here, you know, we just talk about doing your job, you know, we've got six core values and uh, I know this is not a culture talk, so I won't get into all that. No, but no, no. We, we'll, we got to we... break the mold coach. You know, we, I brought up the word <laughs> culture. We've talked enough scheme stuff. Give us your six core values. All right. So for us, uh, number one is honesty, which is, 
you know, brutal honesty. Uh, and that's got to work both ways, coach to player, player back to coach. You know, we tell our players that uh, we're going to be brutally honest with you. We're going to tell you the truth, even when it's not what you want to hear. And, you know, we're not afraid of conflict. If you're not meeting the expectations, we're going to confront you about it. And we'll never shy away from that. And we tell them that if you tell the truth, your problems become part of your past. But if you lie, your problems are eventually going to be dealt with in the future, and it's probably going to get worse. And, uh, you know, number two is accountability, which is simple. Do your job. Handle your responsibilities. Uh, you know, we're a big no BCD program, and BCD is kind of a big acronym that a lot of people use now from the, the Brian Kite, you know, uh, Urban Meyer Above the Line book, uh, BCD stands for blame, complain, defend. You know, we train our players that good decisions lead to good consequences and bad lead to bad. All right. If you mess up, you need to own it, fix it, and move forward. But no BCD. Okay. Uh, number three is is the golden rule. Comes from the Bible. Uh, I'm a Christian, Chris. That matters to me. I don't force my beliefs on my players, but they'll always know kind of where my center point comes from and why I'm such a positive person. Uh, and the golden rule is just treat others the way you would want to be treated, you know, and uh, that doesn't mean treat somebody good if they're rich and can do something for you or treat somebody good if they're from the same part of the world as you or treat somebody good if they're the same skin color as you. That's treat everybody the way you would want to be treated, and that's got to come from me all the way through the bottom of our program. Uh, number four is always compete. We live in an era where – competition is such a negative word shoot chris uh, my, my little boy is 10 years old and he's in a baseball tournament the other day and there's three teams in it and they got smoked absolutely obliterated okay and i'm packing up the car and he comes and sits in the car and <clears throat> he's got a ring on his finger and i said pete man what's going on with that what, what is that he said dad we got a ring for finishing third in the tournament i said dude y'all there wasn't but three teams in the tournament Y'all didn't finish third, you finished last. <laughs> and but you know, that's that's what we're doing now, right? Everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a pat on the back, told it everything's gonna be all right. When the fact of the matter is, again, I don't think that's what this country was built on. Everything's not gonna be all right. Uh like like Coach Saban said, it takes what it takes. And we want to train our players that competition is a positive word that pushes you to be a very a better version of yourself. We want to compete in everything. One day you're going to go to a job interview. And if you're not ready to compete that day, you're not going to get it, and everything ain't going to be all right. And uh, and that's the real world. Number five is project positive energy, which I'm huge on. I think you impact everybody you come in contact with every day. Uh, so I think it takes just as much energy to be ugly to somebody as it does to be good to them and lift them up. Like you said, Chris, we're in the South. Football matters. Uh we need to take that responsibility very serious. I think we can impact this Hattiesburg area and the surrounding area. I think we can be a ray of light. If we get back to winning football games, I think it will give people hope. I think it will give people a sense of pride. And I think there's a lot of things we can do. And we won't, we never want to be people that bring people down. We all know those people. It could be sunny and 79 outside. And they're like, man, I tell you what, I wish it was a little bit warmer today. Yeah. Those guys are called and, defensive uh, coordinators, coach. Just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> well, Austin is not that way. I promise you. All right. But, uh, we, we want to lift others up and make everybody's day around us better. And then number six is find a way, you know, Chris, some days you wake up, you go outside and you're, 
got a flat tire on your car. Some days you wake up, you don't feel good. Some days you wake up and you get news that you got a family member that's sick and you got to find a way to still get your job done and to still do what you're supposed to do for everybody that's counting on you. And, uh, so those, you got to find a way. So that those are our six core values. We implement that every day. We, we do, we filter those throughout everything we do, you know, uh, and we've been here seven months and it's going good. You know, we're building it. We believe in it. And, um, so that's, uh, how'd I come up with those? Most of it was just kind of how I was raised to be honest with you and people I've been around that I got great respect for. Yeah. And th- those are great values. The thing about the, the ring that's funny to me is I'm at the, I guess I wasn't say the tail end, but I think I'm like the beginning of the millennials. And so for the last <laughs> 10 years, I've had to hear about how terrible millennials are and I get it. Like, fair but the participation trophies is interesting to me because like your son didn't ask for that and so many people like you said it in a way that was it was almost encouraging but you know i hear people that are older than us look at your son's generation and say oh well they're the participation generation participation trophy generation your son didn't ask for that ring. He didn't ask for that ring. He may have enjoyed it because he got, oh, I got a ring. You know what I mean? And I think that people need to keep in perspective. The kids are getting the rings, but they're not the ones making them. And so it's it's all on us to, to embrace that issue. And I see a lot of people instead of being like, all right, how do we tackle this? It's like finger pointing. Well, it's your generation. Well, you, you're the one that gave it to us. Well, you started it, you know, then it turns into like a, a kid at a playground, but, uh, how, how do you, and, and I I asked this question, not knowing much about the last staff at Southern Miss, how do you come in and change that culture and, and, and get the kids competing? Is it just as simple as everything we do as a winner and a loser, um, you know, without punishing kids, like you know, making a positive reinforcement rather than, okay, if you don't win this drill, you're going to have to do do something horrible. Like what's that balance for you? How do you, how do you, how do you come into a program and get teaching done and make sure that everybody gets the lessons that they need, but also make it competitive? Yeah. So me and Lance and our strength coach and our team chaplain, Mitch Williams, uh, we meet and we talk about, you know, different periods of the year. So right now we're in the summer portion, uh, you know, where we're lifting uh, mostly for, uh, explo- you know, getting as big and as strong, as explosive as we can be. So uh, during the springtime of the year, we would name, when we first got here, we would name each day of the week one of those core values. And Ancar would have a video to show them when they came into the weight room, we would have one to two team meetings of the each week where we would talk about one. I think one mistake you can make is overloading them with too much. Kids are going to listen to you for about seven to 10, 12 minutes. And after that, you're done. So you've got about one to two points you can make with them and you better get going because shoot, man, you give them seven, eight things to remember 
there's no way they're going to remember that all of a sudden and then all of a sudden go to a workout. And then, so we try to keep it at one, sometimes two things per day. We try to consistently do it over time. So uh, that's our method with it. We don't just flood them with it, uh, with, with, with the core values and the culture. One other thing we try to always do is point out people that are doing it and call people out that are not. And, uh, and we try to use that language you know, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, it's not accountability coach. I was late this morning. My car wouldn't start. Hey man, find a well. Okay. Should have called somebody. We would have picked you up. You know what I mean? Uh, accountability, find a way. We try to always reinforce it. One thing I would say to you though, Chris, have you ever seen the Socrates quote about youth? Have you ever seen that? I think I know what you're talking about, about the, uh, well, I've got it right here, okay? So this is like sometime in 400 B.C. probably, okay? He said, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. So Socrates said that about children in 400 BC. So older people <laughs> saying that the older people saying that the youth don't get it anymore is just kind of a way of humanity. So I don't believe kids are that bad anymore. I think kids get away with what you allow them to get away with. But I think kids want to be motivated. I think kids want to be in structure. And um, I I don't know, man. We've not had it, you know. Like I said, this is my third time to take over to take over a program and to try to build a culture. We've not. I don't know if I'm overly positive or what. We don't view it that kids are hard to handle. Now some kids are right. There's there are truly bad kids with bad hearts, and you know you got to figure out if you can change them or if you can't. And uh, but I think kids for the most part. They want structure. They want organization. They want to be pushed. They want to be motivated. And uh, so that's been going on forever, I think, that whole conversation. Absolutely. So, Coach, winding this down, at the end of every episode, when I have a new guest on, I ask him the same question. Helps me get a feel for their personality and their philosophy on either side of the ball. So I'm going to pose this question to you. And we'll see what you come up with. Okay, here's the situation. National championship. You do it. You cut through. You make it to the new tournament. You go on a run. You're in a national championship. Okay? You're driving down the field. Fourth and nine. 35-yard line. You got a good kicker. Okay? You've got one timeout in your pocket. And there's 11 seconds left. Now... The kicker's pretty good, but you're not feeling great about kicking it now. You want to try to get that first. You want to really secure this. You feel good about your offense. Hell, you're in the national championship game. Okay? You're trying to get that first. You're going to use the timeout, get the kickers on the field, put a ring on your finger. What are you calling? <laughs> oh, man. There's no so many pressure parts at all. That, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, the the first thing I thought in my mind is, you know, what? 
I, a lot of that, I'm, I guess I want to be pretty general because a lot of that would be who I'm playing and what they do too. Right. You know? I'll give you, know, you, I'll so, give you a uh, scenario. Let's say uh, you're going against, you're playing Alabama, and you've got okay. a damn good team. But I, I, I ask this question, and I, I usually say all things are equal. I know that's never the case, but I mean in the sense that like you don't have one guy that's gonna get the ball, so you're probably not gonna get doubled. Like, or, or like, there's not yep. one guy. I mean, you may get doubled, like they could double the slot. They could double the outside, but there's not like one guy on your team that the other guy has to stop. Like he's going to get the ball kind of a thing. Yep. Gotcha. All right. So I'm going to probably get in some type of spread three, probably a three by one look. All right. And to the field, uh, I'd probably go post wheel with number three on an out route, about an eight to 12 yard out route, breaking off the coverage when he needs to break to be open to the boundary. I would run some type of dig with the back and six man protection, releasing to the boundary on some type of outside breaking option route. All right. And, uh, that would be a slight read for us to the field. So I would have my best receivers at the boundary solo and at the number three uh to the field and so you know we would hit hopefully we could hit the out route for a first down quickly on a one two three and a gathering get out of bounds if not we would be gathering back to the backside dig okay so either you know one or two in his progression would get him the first down in a timely enough fashion to catch it get down get a timeout and kick the field goal. We'd be in a six-man scan protection with the back, so we would be able to build, you know, have the ability to uh, to pick up most pressures. And then, if you're in man, we would have one outbreaking route, obviously, to the field, and one in-breaking route to the boundary, based off the man leverage. You know, we ought to. That's our two best players. We'd like to think if you're a inside leverage team. You know, we could win with the outbreaking route. And if you're a outside leverage team with inside help, we could win on the in-breaking route. Uh, off the top of my head with not a lot of uh, – not a lot of know who I'm going against. That's about the, probably the best I can give you. <laughs> and that, That's great. That's what I want. I, don't, I, I, I keep it general because I want to see, like, what's your go-to. When all, th- when, when all things are equal, like, what's your favorite? Rather than, yep. I, that's why I never ask about a specific time, because then I think it like like okay in this game I did this, but it may be distorted because it may not even be your top five favorite plays, but this team really struggled facing it or whatever. So I was just, it's almost a, a more fun way to ask like, what's your favorite dropback concept? Um, when you're when your yeah. stones are on the line, kind of a thing, and that's why I because. I don't want, oh, we're going to go for the Hail Mary or, oh, uh, you know what? I think our kicker, we'll, we'll take our chances with our kicker. That's a lame answer, you know? Um, but uh, yep, no although doubt. although I interviewed the QB coach for the Chiefs, Mike Kafka, the other day, I had to push that 35 yards back to 45 because I was afraid that that level, they'd be like, 52, that's no problem at all. But anyway. <laughs> no doubt. Now, no doubt. I know that's usually that that would be the end of the pot. But I got to ask you before you go, you, you triggered something when you gave me your answer. When you're constructing a drop back play, and I know you have things in different families. What are the, this is like bonus time, I guess. 
what are like the main components you have to have? Obviously, if you're trying horizontal stretch or vertical stretch, like the things you've gone over. But you you mentioned, okay, we got to have an outbreaking route in case it's manned and an inbreaking route on the other side. Like what, if you're creating a checklist, if, let's say you're creating a new drop back concept. You're like, you know, we need a new play. What's kind of a checklist that you have to put together for it to get the Will Hall stamp of approval in terms of this play has everything in it to get me out of a problem situation? Well, that situation was a little different because, you know, I had no idea what type of defense I'm going against, you know, and uh, so I got to be able to beat man and I got to be able to beat zone. I got to be able to beat all types of man and zone. So, you know, off the top of my head in a short amount of time, I, that was a concept that I felt gave me all of those, you know, chances. You know, you got catch-all pass plays, which are going to be, you know, on a scale of one to ten or, or, or plays that, you know, you, you should be able to complete if executed properly. And then you've got plays that are great versus some coverages and not good at all versus others. So uh, I think, you know, if we're going to play fast, it's going to be a tempo concept. Uh, then it needs to be a catch-all type play, uh, and you got to figure out what those are relative to your personnel and 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 what you're seeing that week. If it's a play that's only good versus certain things, I think you've got to build a package with those that either the quarterback understands a two-play package and he can route check them, or you can somehow, uh, you know, check it whether freeze cadence or, or what LSU did through the national title run with, you know, looking back at the sideline without the quarterback leaving, you know, the, the, the ready position or whatever, you know, I don't know if that answered your question good enough or not. No, no, it does. I just am always curious if you're playing a guy, you know, like Saban where, and I use him because he's the gold standard of defense until Austin Armstrong takes over the world. Uh, but I also knowing mm-hmm. Austin, I know he's got some true zone drop stuff. I know he's got some man stuff. I know he's got some bracket stuff where you're in a pressure situation and you could get two man, you know, you're not probably not going to get six, but you may get an overload, a five man pressure with a, a, an overload that's strong enough. It could damn well could be six guys coming, but you're getting a strong overload, but also could get drop eight all zone you know, where they'll drop out and a backer off the edge or they'll rush forward and play man match coverages, something where you don't really know what you're going to get. Uh, you know, what ingredients do you, when you call a play, what are the ingredients that when you send that out, you're like, all right, I feel good. We got enough in this that if we get a different look, we can handle it. You know, we have a blitz beater. We have, obviously you have your hot or your blitz beater or your alert. And then cut, you just, I don't know. You, when you the way you phrase that answer uh for my question that the hypothetical situation i was like i wonder what if he has like a checklist like you know you come up with a play and you're like oh this is a good play oh wait nope we don't have this in we gotta there has to be some option here or something like that so but anyway well i think in those read categories you know we know you know swipe rates are good versus bail and man okay uh Levels reads are typically not good versus cloud. So if we're going to run a levels read uh, 
and we're going to leave it on no matter what. We're not going to route check it. And we need to have some type of way to defeat Cloud on the backside, you know, which typically, Chris, is why I think through the years, you know, if you were people were running flood with the post post with a number two on the corner and somebody in the flat on the backside, they usually had a dig and some type of sit down right on the backside, right? Because if you got cloud, the dig sit down is great versus cloud. And uh, flood is great versus bail. A dig is also generally pretty good versus man, as long as my receiver is a good player running the dig. So, uh, you know, whatever defeats the primary part of the concept, if you're going to run it no matter what, you better have something that that the quarterback can get the ball out of his hands to if he sees the thing that defeats it. Because, I mean, every coverage can be completed on, every route can be covered, you know, whoever gets the, the pin last. So I guess that would be how we would answer answer that question. Fascinating stuff, Coach. Well, I've taken enough of your time. I know you had a camp today. You had a long day. I don't want to keep you away from supper anymore than I already have. Coach, I really appreciate your time. Good luck in your first year at Southern Miss. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how everything goes. And I'm looking forward to hoping to come visit next uh, spring. Yeah, we'd love to have you in the spring. Uh, guys, we're an open door uh, policy for anybody that's listening. My dad was a high school coach. Uh, we love for people to come see us. We always do spring early here. Uh, keep up with us. If you don't have a team you really root for, root for Southern Miss. We're going to do things the right way, and uh, we're going we're gonna to make you proud. And so I really appreciate you being on, Chris. Appreciate what you do. Thank you. And, Coach, real quick, shout out your Twitter so everybody can follow you. Oh, man. Coach, uh, I'm a big uh, – I'm on it all the time. I don't know my handle. Oh, that, that's how right we got now. to know each other. I, I got you. It's, yeah, uh, it's at Coach at coach underscore hall and the number seven at coach underscore hall seven. Beautiful. Thanks so much, coach. All right. I appreciate you having me, man. Thank you again to Will Hall for coming on the podcast Had a great time. Looking forward to his first season at Southern Miss. Follow me on Twitter at coach fast, the show's account at run Vance option as well as the other podcast at MDGA podcast. Go check out my appearance on the Mina Kimes podcast. It's my pinned tweet on the Coach Fast account. Make sure to check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash coachfastfootball, Patreon, patreon.com slash coachfast. The website is coachvast.com. And if you forget all these links, linktree.com slash coachvast. And even if you forget that, just go to my Twitter account. It's in the bio. Make sure to check out the Coach Tube course of the week and subscribe, rate and review the pod, and I will see you next week. And whether you believe in four verts or three yards in a cloud of dust, we got you covered.